So you have Fauci coming out and saying, well, if you don't get vaccinated, then you won't get your vaccine certificate and then you won't be able to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And Gates says, if you don't get your vac- vaccination, you won't get your little digital device injected into your arm and you won't be able to do certain things. Well, I don't know. What are the certain things? Maybe you won't be able to go 20 miles from your home. Maybe you won't be able to get a driver's license. Maybe you won't be able to get on a train, bus, or plane. Maybe you won't be able to have a bank account. I mean, think of all the things you might not be able to do, all dependent upon your taking this vaccine. And I would say that has got to be unconstitutional because that's a direct threat on my life. And transferences of wealth. There are going to be huge transferences of wealth going on as, people's lose their, as people lose their businesses, as people no longer can meet their mortgages and therefore lose their homes, etc., etc., etc. Someone is going to profit from this big time. Welcome back to Liberty and Finance and Reluctant Preppers. We have a returning guest with great renown. Dr. Vieira has argued cases up to and including the U.S. Supreme Court, primarily around the First Amendment and some Second Amendment cases and others. He's here to talk with us about what is going on now in the current pandemic crisis and how our constitutional liberties have been affected, how our lives have been impacted, and how whether we can back this thing up at all. Uh, Dr. Vieira, thank you for joining us again this Monday, April 20th, 2020. It's my pleasure being with you. We've had quite a few questions submitted by viewers ahead of your visit here because they're gravely concerned about the loss of liberty that they've incurred as, as individuals, as business owners, as workers, and uh, as U.S. citizens in the face of this crisis that's sweeping across the, the world and across the country. And one of the main themes that's coming out in people's concern is, is this policy response, which was uh, huge and highly impactful to everyone's uh, liberties, that many of us are still basically in, I guess, sort of under house arrest in the sense that we're unable to leave our homes except for certain exceptional uh, activities and uh, aren't able to conduct our affairs. People aren't able to work. They aren't able to earn support their families. They're gravely concerned. And the, the even future uh, announced potential policies that are being talked of uh, would increase the amount of surveillance, the amount of basically guilty until proven innocent, needing to have papers to be able to conduct ordinary activities of life that we took for granted and felt were our rights uh, until very recently. So if we could kind of walk into this um, in a somewhat orderly manner and have you tell us, first of all, Can we talk about the level of response from officialdom to the current crisis, whether we have any way of knowing if this was uh, proportionate and justified to the the need, or if we already know that that some aspects of of the current policies that we're being subjected to cannot be justified and are over and above what was necessary? Well, I would say initially that one has to go back to the concept of quarantines, which have been recognized for a very long time in American history as within the authority of at least local governments. But those were always related to people who were, in fact, sick with a communicable disease, or sometimes members of their immediate families who might have contracted the disease but symptoms hadn't yet shown. And of course, the purpose was to prevent the individual who was sick from leaving the quarantined area to infect others. Now, that's not what has happened here, quite obviously. Uh, Number one, they really have no idea, the public health officials, state, federal, local, whatever, they really have no idea of how many people have actually been, been infected with this particular virus. They have some idea of the people who have tested positive, but we know that up to now the testing materials have proven to be less than satisfactory so that number is not necessarily one that you can put much confidence in and then the next level of course you go well how many of those people who have tested positive assuming that the test is valid have developed symptoms that were 
potentially dangerous to them and how many of those went into hospitalization and how many of those that went into hospitalization already had what they call comorbidities. Maybe they had heart conditions, maybe they had lung conditions, maybe they had diabetes, whatever it was that made them particularly susceptible perhaps to any flu-like virus, not necessarily this one. And so even the level of hospitalizations and then the level of deaths on top of that are excessive. Uh, We've also seen that the CDC and others are promoting the idea that anyone who dies uh, with a COVID-19 positive test should be recorded as having died from or presumptively from the virus, which I take it is not really good medical examiner practice, right. especially if those people had other conditions uh, that made them susceptible to early death. I mean, I, I heard one case the other day that was uh, being complained about on, on the Internet from a, an actual nurse. Uh, they brought a hospice patient into the hospital, and the hospice patient died, and they checked off her death to COVID-19 because apparently they gave her a test. Well, someone who's in a hospice is dying. Mm-hmm. That's why you're in the hospice, all right? Uh, and you're dying of something other than COVID-19, quite obviously. This person was admitted to the hospice apparently before that uh, epidemic started. So you look at something like that, and it becomes kind of questionable as to exactly what's going on here when the statistics are not reliable. And then, of course, you have the eminent Dr. Fauci. More and more information is coming out on him every day of taking inconsistent positions over time. So it's a little bit difficult to know what he really believes and what the basis for that is, and maybe what he's being told by people lower down in the bureaucracy at CDC or uh, FDA. And then, of course, on top of that, you have all of these problems that relate to alternative treatments, the hydroxychloroquine zinc treatment, the um, a uh, doctor that came out not too long ago and said, oh, well, the use of ventilators is really wrong. These mm-hmm. people have an oxygen deprivation problem. The last thing you want to do is put them on ventilators. And then you have the backing and filling coming out of places like New York. I mean, what was it, maybe two weeks ago or something, uh, Governor Cuomo was screaming and yelling he didn't have enough ventilators. Mm-hmm. That, uh, Trump was responsible for this. President Trump was responsible for this. Had to get ventilators from New York. It was an emergency situation. Now uh, they're sending ventilators out of New York to other places. So you wonder the extent to which that may have been uh, hyperbolic, let's say, on his part. So here's the problem. They're not following the normal or traditional rules for quarantine, which one could say had a due process basis because it was necessary to determine that the individual or individuals to be quarantined actually had the disease. So they were capable of doing harm to others in medical sense. So that was justified because a person cannot put someone else in harm's way without some extraordinarily important reason. I mean, even a person in quarantine, I suppose, if they had a heart attack, they could take them to the hospital for some kind of treatment. Uh, But that's not what we have now. You have these uh, generalized lockdowns, uh, stay-at-home orders, whatever you want to call them. And those have more of an effect because many of the people who are shut down are kept from running their businesses or going to their employment or what have you. So they have a tremendous economic effect. So now we're talking not simply about limitations on liberty, but we're talking about limitations on property, the ability to run a business, the ability to earn money. Of course, that's why the (laughs) people in Congress and Trump were coming up with these uh, uh, stimulus payouts Mm -hmm. because they recognize there's a problem. The, the, The economy is, is such, I mean, the level of debt in this economy is such To the edge, it's going to go over. And they probably realize that. I, well, I hope they realize that. Uh, so now we have you know, another overreach, in a sense, uh, in terms of what would they call it, guaranteed uh, income? Right? It sounds like Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez is running right. the White right. House, right? Uh, guarantee, whatever they call it, right? that, that, that concept. And I heard today, I saw someone today saying that there, were already, there was already another bill in Congress to expand these payments by another $2,000 and so forth and so on. So the, you know, the sky is the limit on that. Uh, that's another problem. Uh, if you look at a couple of situations, which in, in, I would hope are peculiar, uh, churches are being told that they can't hold services, so now we have a freedom of religion problem. And I saw a report the other day about a pastor, I can't remember where he was, but 
he told his uh, parishioners to come in in their cars, park in the parking lot, and everyone was going to be, quote-unquote, social distancing from each other because they were all in the cars. And he had made some kind of arrangement to broadcast his sermon on radio so they could hear this thing in the cars. And the police showed up and arrested him and told the others if they didn't disperse, they would be arrested. So that's a fascinating uh, development. And then, of course, the uh, in the firearms areas, uh, you've got a mix, mixed bag there. In some places, they say, well, firearms... Uh, dealers, uh, guns and ammunition are essential business, so they leave them open. In other places, they don't. Uh, so that's pretty much, again, at the discretion of the local or state authorities as to whether they're going to violate that particular constitutional right. So you have the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, uh, the Fifth Amendment, maybe the Fourth Amendment. They haven't gotten around to seizing people yet or searching their homes to see if they're there when they're supposed to be, in theory. But that's probably coming if this thing continues much longer, because a lot of people simply aren't going to take the stay-at-home orders lying down. Uh, and then, on top of that, uh, you know, we have, what shall I say, that the, the concept of the technocratic control of the entire economy. I mean, here's Fauci coming out, and he's the spokesman for what the White House is, is uh, advocating. And, of course, they have little Fauci's, little Dr. Fauci's in every state public health agency. And these people make a de determination, and all of a sudden the executive responds with an executive order, and the executive order does this, that, or the other thing in a draconian fashion. And that brings through the whole constitutionality of executive orders. You know, people seem to think that executive orders are along the lines of, of legislation that a, a president or the con or a governor of a state can simply issue an executive order whenever he has some whim to do so. And that's not true. Yeah, there's one level of executive order for, as it were, policing or administering uh, the internal affairs of an executive department, that everyone has to wear a suit and tie, that they have to be there by 9.30 in the morning, that they can't leave coffee cups on the tables, whatever that would be. And that's within the authority of the executive or his subordinates in particular departments. But otherwise, executive orders have to have some authority in legislation put out by Congress or by a state legislature. And what you see there is Congress has done that to a large extent. They pass some bill, and they say, under certain circumstances, if the president finds such and such to be the fact, then he can issue an executive order taking the following actions. In some cases, that's probably constitutional if Congress could pass that statute in the first place. In other cases, it isn't, because the statute has some constitutional problem with it. Hmm. Uh, and that's one of the areas in which people really aren't, doing, or aren't delving too far. They look at these executive orders coming out, and they say, well, we don't like them for one reason or another. Well, what about the statute under which the president or the governor is purporting to act? What's the constitutionality of, of that? And it's the same with what they call emergency powers. Mm -hmm. The Congress could pass a statute, legitimate statute, and say the president can only execute this statute when he makes a certain finding of fact that a certain set of circumstances are uh, have developed. And at that point, he can declare, quote-unquote, an emergency and take this action. Well, that emergency is a label that's given to his taking of this action under a legitimate statute. That's completely different from a president saying that he has determined there's a, a, some kind of an emergency as the result of his unaided evaluation of the situation. And as a result of that, he's going to take unto himself some powers he didn't have before. The correct term for that is usurpation. If it goes far enough, the correct term for it is tyranny. Right? So when you look at any of these things, you first have to ask the question, wait a minute, is there a statute there? that authorizes the governor to do this, uh, that authorizes the president to go at the local level, an ordinance perhaps that authorizes a, you know, a mayor or a board of supervisors or whatever to do what they think they're doing. Uh, and if there is, then has the executive gone too far or is he acting within the bounds of that statute? And if the statute doesn't exist or if the statute is unconstitutional, then of course the executive action is unconstitutional. So this is what, what it amounts to. This is a complete rat's nest. This is a kind of a lawyer's wish list. You know, we're going to be employed for the next hundred years just dealing with what's going on this year, let alone what may go on next year. And where this is going to go further, because look at the attitude of lots of people. They simply went along with it through fear. Mm -hmm. They heard something about, oh, this is deadly. We've got to uh, uh, social distance ourselves. We've got to stay at home. We've got to do this, that, or the other thing. 
where is, you know, in the intelligence agencies and the military planning uh, groups, they will have a team A and a team B and sometimes a team C. And A is the one that's going to make up the initial plan, and then B and C are the ones that are going to critique it from different directions so that you don't have a kind of tunnel vision mm-hmm. in the planning operation. Well, where is that here? We have Fauci giving out certain prognostications and predictions and so forth and so on. And in some cases, you have the state public health people, although they're pretty much following along with what comes out of CDC. And who's checking on him? I find that to be a fascinating question. Where is the team B that is checking on the CDC? I would think in some cases that would be the state officials who would say, well, wait a minute, that's not what's going on in our state. We don't agree with that. Or we have research that shows something else. You've got, for instance, you've got Fauci out there for a while talking about the hydroxychloroquine mm-hmm. situation and poo-pooing that. Well, this is just anecdotal, you know. There haven't been tests and blah, 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 so forth. I mean, the drug's been known since, what, the 1930s. So what are we talking about here? Meanwhile, and that's the official pronouncements, meanwhile, you have surveys being taken of doctors who are using this material on their own and, according to them, getting good results. Right. So whom do we believe? Do we believe this broad statement by Fauci that, uh, well, you don't really want to rely on that stuff, or do we believe what the doctors who are actually treating the patients are finding as the results? And that's what I find fascinating about this, because, of course, one man in some bureaucracy is essentially not only telling the president what to do with respect to his potential executive authority, but he's also shutting down or trying to shut down the entire medical establishment in the United States. All of these doctors who are private practitioners, let's assume that they're private practitioners, who have their own rights and responsibilities to treat their patients as they see uh, is appropriate with the patient's informed consent. And one would think that, well, you know, the CDC under circumstances like this really doesn't have too much to say about that. Now, they haven't, I guess they haven't gone to the point of actually saying, trying to prevent the use of that drug, as an example. I think the governor of Michigan tried that. And the, uh, governor, and the governor of Ohio as well, Nevada. And, and several others, yeah. Yeah, there might be a couple of others. Uh, I know that the governor of Michigan turned around on that pretty quickly because she was going to look like a fool. I don't know what happened in Nevada. Uh, but there you go. I mean, he has these little, ty- little ty- tyrannies as well as the big tyranny, right? The whole series of satrapies, so, so-called, right? And the satraps below um, the, ca- the caliph, I guess it would be. All right? So you look constitutionally at this and you say, what's a rat's nest? And I think the main reason it's a rat's nest is no check and balance system. Check and balance system has been completely removed, because I can suggest ways that it should be there or should be you know, reinstated. But it's not there. So you have poor Trump, who's, of course, not technically versed in these medical problems, and he's listening to Fauci. And if he doesn't follow what Fauci says, the New York Times is going to pillory him. And maybe if he does follow what Fauci says, the New York Times is going to pillory him. He's caught between the rock and the hard place. Uh, and at the state level, you have your own you know, local medical tyrant. And the people themselves have nowhere to turn for any kind of alternative information, recommendation, whatever you want to call it. So Fauci really, this thing kind of amazes me, Fauci really is the man who's acting as president of the United States now. Given the fact that Trump can't himself differentiate between good and bad advice here. And Trump doesn't have someone else to go to. I mean, if I were Trump and put in this position, the last thing I would do would be to listen to one bureaucrat from the CDC. The very first thing I would do would have, would have been to set up some kind of a com- commission of my own, special White House commission, and bring a bunch of people in from the outside. And there are quite a few of these people who are well-known, and they have a lot of uh, <clears throat> experience in epidemiology and so forth, you know, viral medicine. Bring them in and sit them down and say, let's see what our alternatives are. I'm not going to take a one-sided view from some bureaucrat in the CDC. That's out of the question. But he didn't do that. And so there you go. So I don't know, what's the attitude of the average person going to be about this? You see in various places in the country, they are 
protesting, small numbers of them, if you look at the pictures on YouTube and whatever. Uh, where I live, it's kind of rural. Um, I would say the traffic in town, in terms of the stores that remain open, grocery stores, for instance, it's probably about 20% of what mm-hmm. it normally is, maybe a little lower than that. But you can't tell how many people are coming out, you know, some in the morning, some in the afternoon, some in the evening, the stores aren't open that late, but nonetheless, they're not all coming out at once. So it may be a good percentage of our little town, our little county, with 30-something thousand pe- people in this county, maybe a fair percentage of them who are actually out and about and are not necessarily paying strict attention to the uh, you know, shelter-in-place recommendations. And our governor, Northam, his executive orders uh, leave potentially a lot of leeway. Uh, he has one of these 10 people in a place uh, at the same time rules, uh, and he, he claims that that applies to everybody, but the only people who can be penalized for not doing it are the businesses. So if you're running a, a business that, even if it's deemed essential, and you let more than 10 people in at a time, then they can cite you for a misdemeanor and there's a fine there. But if you're a group of private people and you're all getting together in your home or something, even if they find out about it, there's nothing they can do to you. I suppose they could send the sheriff around and say, you people should disperse. To which the answer would be, well, you have no enforcement authority. I got the executive order right in my hands. You can't cite us for a misdemeanor here. Go away. So it's, well, again, one of those things. Now, you got Fauci coming along and saying just today, maybe it was yesterday, today, he said it's very dangerous for people to start coming out. Uh, he was talking about the protesters who were trying to get more people to uh, disregard these shelter in places. Mm-hmm. He said that's very dangerous because that could now cause a spike, a new spike in the virus, uh, viral contamination. Um, and then there was another report out of China, so one wonders whether you want to believe it, that the virus can mutate very fast, mm-hmm. and some of the mutations may be more dangerous than the original, and on and on we go. So the problem here is we don't have enough information. And I think that gets back to the problem of there's no team A and there's no team B. See, when you have bureaucrats, see, politicians don't understand what's going on because they're not scientifically trained. And then you have the bureaucrats that are telling them, giving them a particular line. And as a result of that line, the politicians respond in a draconian fashion if they hear sufficiently uh, frightening warnings coming from these bureaucrats. But who's checking the bureaucrats? All right? And it's one thing to say, well, you know, we, we have this principle that says uh, you know, if there's a danger, you should certainly try to avoid it. And yeah, So there's the medical danger, but then on the other hand, there's the economic danger. Mm-hmm. There's a social breakdown danger. There's the problem that you may end up causing more people to go into depression and commit suicide than would have died from the COVID-19 infection if you reduced these stay-at-home orders. And that's why I say you have a, a, a bureaucracy, a bureaucratic structure that is set up to have no accountability and no responsibility. It can say whatever the heck it wants. And with Fauci, he's been back and forth over this uh, you know, since he started talking a couple of months ago. And then the politicians have to react reflexively because they have no ability to challenge, or maybe to understand, but certainly to challenge this view that's coming out of the bureaucracy, and they have no contradictory opinions or opinions that question what the bureaucracy is telling them. And see, this goes all the way back to the whole concept of administrative agencies. We're talking the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, not just the turn of this century. And the concept was by a certain class of people in society that democracy didn't really work, or Republican form of government, I should say, didn't really work because the people were really not competent to elect the best representatives. And even good representatives were probably not competent enough to solve all the complex problems that were arising in a modern society. And here we're talking about you know, the early 1900s. And so what we need, we, the elite, what we need is to have administrative control by experts. We need to set up agencies. Congress needs to authorize the creation of these agencies and fund them and give them specific areas of jurisdiction with respect to important aspects of social behavior, 
So we create like the, as they did under Roosevelt later, the SEC to deal with uh, markets, uh, the FDA to deal with drugs and so forth. We could go mm-hmm. on and on and on. They create all these agencies. And these agencies will be the ones which, through regulations and in many instances enforcement, because some of the agencies are capable of enforcing their own regulations, they don't even have to go into courts to do it. We will be able to control all these areas of activity with expert oversight. And the role of the people then will simply to be to elect members of the legislature who will create and fund these agencies, and then you let us run the country. That was the goal. And there's a fellow who, who writes very extensively on this by the name of Patrick Wood. And I would encourage people to take a look at his uh, website and a couple of the books he's written. Uh, he writes on the problem of technocracy, right? Not technology, not the mm-hmm. knowledge mm-hmm. of techniques, but technocracy, the political system run by technocrats, this group of experts, right? And this goes way back. This is not something that happened last year. It goes way back. And Roosevelt was really the one who put it in in spades because in the 30s they had this great expansion under his administration of administrative agencies. And, of course, it's gone on since then. And the problem is, all right, you have an administrative agency, you have some group of experts, but they're not the only experts in the country. For every expert you have in one of those agencies, you've got 10 or 15, 20 or maybe more people equally qualified out there in the real world. So why is it that those experts' opinions in any particular agency, other than the fact that they're there, they've been put into those positions through political influence or whatever, why is their opinion necessarily the one that has to be taken as gospel? And the answer is, well, rationally and logically, it shouldn't. Rationally and logically, we should be considering other positions as well. But there is no mechanism for doing that, all right, within the government. That is, if someone outside of the government speaks up, and they did a survey a few days ago, and 62% of the doctors uh, that they surveyed said they were actually using hydroxychloroquine for their uh, COVID patients, and that that was working out for them. But those people have no governmental authority. And Fauci dismisses that kind of evidence as anecdotal it hasn't gone through the three-year period or whatever highly expensive fda uh, procedure for quote-unquote verifying it in some way all those protocols and labyrinthine studies and etc it hasn't done that so it's merely anecdotal so we can dismiss it we fauci can dismiss that well i find that fascinating given that someone's life is involved or many people's lives involved you can simply dismiss that but you would stop and think for a moment that our whole legal system, at least in terms of trials, civil and criminal, is based on anecdotal evidence. Every case is anecdotal in that sense. This is the first time it ever happened, probably the last time it ever will happen to that particular defendant, to maybe the victim or whatever it is, whoever is involved in the case. And we don't think twice about fining people huge amounts of money or sending people to jail for long periods of time on the basis of anecdotal evidence. So one would think that in the scientific community, if the only evidence you have is anecdotal, but the anecdotal evidence is positive, you would go on that until some negative information came in. Given the alternative, the people end up dying. They go into the ventilators in New York and 80% of them die. Right. Because probably the ventilators are not the right way to handle those particular patients. It's an oxygen deprivation problem. It's not. So you don't even want to get into that. You know, get, get on the internet. You'll find all these people talking about. It. Right. So there is no mechanism within the government to hold these agencies accountable, to hold them responsible, and basically, there's no mechanism simply for surveillance. What they say, they say, and what the basis for that is back in the in, you know in the back room in their documentation is going to be closed to public scrutiny unless maybe you can go through Freedom of Information Act requests and, and you know, get around the exceptions in there, or maybe it will come out five years from now or ten years from now or whatever it is when it's too late to do anything about it and Fauci's dead and, and the others are retired. So that's the major problem. And that's what I see the message of this thing to people is. We need to bring these agencies, to the extent we're going to keep them, that's another problem. A lot of them are unconstitutional in whole or in part. But to the extent that you even want to keep one of these agencies, there has to be some method 
injected into the system where they can be held accountable, they can be held responsible, and even before that happens, because you can't hold them accountable and responsible if they have the knowledge, they can be put under surveillance and supervision. That's the team B and the team C. And the question is, where do you find the people to do that? And the answer is you have to find them in the states. It's the federal system. They have to come out of the states. And I could go into a long detail about how that should be done. In fact, I'm writing a paper that's going to be published in a couple of days ah. that goes into detail about this, because I've been talking about this subject for a long time. Uh, and that's the militia concept. Militia concept is not a bunch of people running around with guns necessarily. I mean, there would be some of them. But they'd be doing all sorts of other things to preserve the security of a free state, as the Second Amendment talks about. Well, part of the security of the free state is the public health system. Right? You're not going to have much security if you're dead. So one would think that a properly functioning system of that kind would be able to find, well, you're going to recruit everyone in society for the militia, or it's a compulsory organization, but you'd be able to find pretty quickly in each state people who would be at the level of competence of Dr. Fauci. And some of those people from each state could be put together on interstate militia commission, the point of, of which would be to conduct surveillance, supervision, and if necessary, control of the CDC. And then we would definitely have accountability and responsibility being enforced by people with governmental authority. Now, if the situation was so complicated that no one could figure it out, uh, we have to shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's the way it is. Like, you know, it's like the Black Death of the 1300s or 1400s. People didn't know what caused it, and they had to suffer the consequences. So I can understand that problem. But I don't think that's this problem now. I think the level of confusion here and contradictory opinions flowing back and forth, and, and what we're seeing in, coming out of the White House and coming out of state capitals, these uh, despotic, really, orders, hmm. is the result of no ability of people at the local and state level to participate in some way with governmental authority in this process, even as a check and balance. I mean, we hear that all the time in constitutional law, if you, you, know, you study the history. Well, the founding fathers were concerned about checks and balances because they didn't believe that you should set up any kind of system that could impose itself through force without having some check and balance on its use of that force. And this is what we see now. There's no check and balance here whatsoever. I mean, except as a, you know, in, in, in Trump's talking about uh, reopening the economy and some of the state governors saying, well... You know, how did he put it? He said he had the authority. He had the authority to tell them not to reopen. I don't believe that's true. Right? But he said it. And so the state governors come back and say, oh, no, you don't. We have the Tenth Amendment here, and the states have authority of their own. So, okay, that's fine. And they're right. And now the ball has shifted back onto their side of the court, and let's see what they're going to do about it. So there was an example of a check and balance. So you, can, uh -huh. you can almost give, give some credit to Governor Cuomo. I think he was the one that was most vehement in criticizing the president when the president said he could simply order the states not to reopen. And I would say, well, on the Tenth Amendment point, he's absolutely correct. Right. But then who's checking Cuomo? Right? <laughs> Who was checking Cuomo when he was talking about all those ventilators they needed, and they were putting everybody and his brother on a ventilator, and 80% of them were dying? Mm -hmm. Who was checking him? And who will be checking him later when somebody comes along and says that kind of treatment was inappropriate from the beginning and they should have known it? When will that be? A couple of years from now when the studies are finally done, we realize all these dead people, or maybe many of them shouldn't have been dead, or at least they shouldn't have died that way. No check and no balance. All right. And the interesting thing on the militia structure, it wouldn't simply check and balance the national government, but it would check and balance the state government because it's actually part of the state government. And you would bring into the process a whole bunch of people who are, in a sense, incorruptible, because there are too many of them. They're not politicians. They're not professional bureaucrats. They're drawn out of this huge pool for a short period of time to perform this kind of a supervisory function. And then they go back into their normal mm -hmm. uh, routines, their normal employment. That's That's year or so, whatever it is, half a year, however long they're brought forward, is part of their militia duty. And having done that, then they don't have to do any duty for the next three or four years. Or so I mean, you work this thing out. Well, they have no 
necessarily axe to grind, necessarily don't have an axe to grind on behalf of Big Pharma, mm-hmm. on behalf of Bill Gates, uh, on behalf of Henry Kissinger. This amazing thing, I, I hope some of your people saw this. Gates and Kissinger were together on some interview where they were talking about how it was necessary to have some kind of global initiative or global control to get everyone in the world vaccinated. Now, as soon as you see Gates and Kissinger together, you know you got trouble. All right. But what I'm talking about is a system where the people who would be performing the supervisory function would not owe anything to Mr. Gates, would not owe anything to Mr. Kissinger, would not owe anything to Dr. Fauci. In fact, just the opposite. They'd be there to find out what was wrong with Dr. Fauci. That's a check and balance, right? Ultimately, we're looking for something that's irregular and to correct it. If it's regular, we leave it alone. And you would, you would have a, such a huge number of people from whom you could draw that it would be impossible to suborn all of them. Unlike now, when they can easily be suborned. I would say they probably all are suborned in one way or another. So I would think people looking at this would say, yes, that's what, we, what has gone wrong here. In particular, what has allowed these political figures at every level of the system, all the way down to local level, some local people, mayors and whatever, that are issuing these draconian, uh, what I would call despotic ordinances. Yes. What's missing here is the check and balance system in which the people participate directly. Now, that's a Republican form of government, right? The people are the sovereigns, and they control the system, and they now, they elect representatives because that's a less cumbersome operation than a New England town meeting. But in the final analysis, if those representatives turn out to be incompetent or disloyal or whatever, that they don't perform their function as they ought to, then the people have to exercise some kind of direct control. And that's, that's in the Constitution. <laughs> that's the malicious structure, the security of a free state. And one element, as I say, of that is, Public health, maintenance of public health, because you can't have security, you can't live in a free state unless you're alive. And we don't have that. So now what are the people supposed to do? This is the difficulty of it. What are the people at this stage supposed to do? They have two choices. One is to obey these orders. Right. Or number two is to disobey them. Now let's go to, let's go to Bill Gates here. Bill Gates says everyone needs to be vaccinated. So assume, I saw Gates was on the other day, he said, oh, it'll be 18 months before they get a vaccine. Somebody was on today or yesterday said, oh, no, we'll have it. We might have it by September, even though all the you know, tests may not have been done. They may yeah. not have gone through all the protocols of, of the FDA, but we'll have this. Okay, so you have Fauci coming out and saying, well, if you don't get vaccinated, then you won't get your vaccine certificate and then you won't be able to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And Gates says, if you don't get your vac- vaccination, you won't get your little digital device injected into your arm and you won't be able to do certain things. Well, I don't know, what are the certain things? Maybe you won't be able to go 20 miles from your home. Maybe you won't be able to get a driver's license. Maybe you won't be able to get on a train, bus, or plane. Maybe you won't be able to have a bank account. I mean, think of all the things you might not be able to do, all dependent upon your taking this vaccine. And I would say that has got to be unconstitutional because that's a direct threat on my life, considering what various people are saying about vaccines. Robert Kennedy Jr., for instance, Children's Health Defense Fund. People should go look at his website. Yes. Where he gives a tremendous amount of information with respect to the dangers of these vaccines, many vaccines. Um, so there we have a direct conflict. You're not going to be allowed to lead your life unless you endanger your life. And you have no check and balance on that except what? Except refusing. And at the initial stage, well, if you refuse, you don't get your certificate or you don't get your little chip injected into your arm and various bad things happen to you. And if enough, enough people refuse, then the next step is there will be forced medication because their ultimate goal I think it's to get the chip in your arm, not to give you the certificate. But the control mechanism, this all ties in with 5G and God knows what else. You know, they're setting up. This is something that Orwell would have salivated. Big Brother would have salivated over this if he could have gotten his hands on this kind of a system. And that brings you back to the technocrats, or brings me back to the technocrats. The original idea of technocracy was these were... Uh, people who, these experts were people who had the public interest really in mind. They were trying to do good for everyone, to do good for people who didn't know any better. 
Right? I have to do good for you because you're too incompetent to do it for yourself. And so I'm going to lie and cheat and whatever to set up this system, violate the Constitution, because in the final analysis, you will be happier that way, even though <laughs> you don't understand how it happened. Yeah, okay. But now we look at this and we say, wait a minute. Once they get this wonderful system up, they will have a mechanism to surveil and control and potentially destroy the lives, maybe not physically, but otherwise, destroy the lives of everyone in society that's within this technocratic grid. And even if that isn't the goal of whoever's, you know, Elon Musk, whoever these tech, you know, technological guys that she out there, uh, uh, Zuckerberg and whatever, even if that isn't their goal, it will be used by somebody, some psychopath in government, will see the advantage of using this for that purpose. That is what has happened to every form of technology that has ever been laid on the table. As soon as the psychopaths get control of it, they use it for control purposes. Unless you have a check and balance. And so you look at this and you say, I say, not only do we not have checks and balances where they should be, but it looks like the vast majority of the people in this country are willing to do without them. You see, I look at those people that, where they come out, Michigan, Ohio, few states, small numbers of people. And they were making what I would call the kind of traditional argument. My constitutional rights are being violated. I'm an employer, a little business, so I'm losing my property. Uh, I'm an employee, I'm losing my income. Uh, you know, someone can't get out of his house, that's my liberty, on and on we go. Uh, okay, fine, that's what's happening. Now what do you do about it? Not one of them seemed to recognize that something needed to be done. It was not simply a matter of refusing. You know, Nancy Reagan, just say no. Okay, just say no. Some, there'll be some consequence. You have to foresee that. What do you do to forfend that consequence and take control of the situation? And that is you have to return to the basic constitutional principle. Republican form of government, the people are the sovereigns. That means the people have to have the ability to conduct the checks and balances themselves. Not to depend on representatives, because we find out that our representatives are in many instances incompetent or disloyal. They're feckless or they're worse. Right? And certainly not to depend on the technocrats. Because as soon as you depend on the technocrats, they, they feed you some kind of jargon that you can't understand. And then the politicians say, well, we have to take this action because Dr. Fauci says so. Mm -hmm. right? You have to have your own Team B of experts. Well, and the Team B has to have governmental authority. It right? can't just be a bunch of people that get together in a park and say, Fauci's wrong. Fauci laughs about that. Even if they're medical doctors and they're telling him that they have this good experience with these alternative treatments, whatever they may be, he right. laughs at them because it's only anecdotal. Right? Let the patients die. We don't care. If the FDA doesn't approve it, too bad for you. So that's the difficulty. And I would hope that, an, an, what shall I say, a critical mass of people looking at this would say, here's the problem. We as the people have given up the ability to, in criti in, during critical times, to inject ourselves directly into this political system, governmental system. And maybe not necessarily control it, but at least impose some kind of check and balance, some kind of limitation, some, some kind of accountability and responsibility as a matter of law, right? that we, the people, are exercising some kind of governmental authority here. And if that's not done, take my word for it, you will have what Patrick Wood writes about, the imposition of technocracy, which makes 1984 despotism look like you know, Jeffersonian democracy. Because they've already proven it. Here it is right here. Yeah. All right? Here's a disease which may not be as, as deadly in terms of number of victims as seasonal flu. I think it was Dr. Ioannidis, who's going to be this epidemiologist, very, very skilled epidemiologist, came out the other day and said that. And said, well, this looks like just like a seasonal flu. It's not that, not that I mean, people die. You have, have sympathy for that. But if you're looking at you know, cross-sections of this society, uh, it's not as dangerous, not as bad, does, certainly doesn't require the level of hysterical response. All right, and what do you do about it? I keep coming back. I mean, that's a question I always ask. Now what? We've seen this happen. And I can give you an explanation of what the problem is. I hope I've given one. And the question is, now what? Yeah. 
you know, you go back in your home and, and follow the, the shelter-in-place rules. When they come around with the vaccinations, do you take them? I mean, Robert Kennedy Jr., and he better be careful talking about Bill Gates. He better remember what happened to his, his father and his uncle. Uh, he's out there saying on his website or, or telling people about what Bill Gates' uh, polio vaccine campaign in India did. Right. And how many people were, were children were you know, paralyzed as a result of this faulty vaccine. And other vaccines, where you go down the list, right? Because these things are, uh, what shall I say? The FDA, whatever the FDA protocols are, they're insufficient. Mm-hmm. And that's because these things are treated as, they're not treated as drugs. They're treated as, they're in a different category. Right? And then, of course, the vaccine um, producers have immunity. I was telling my wife the other day, if someone were to come around here with a Bill Gates vaccine, I mean, if I were a wag, I'd say Bill and Melinda have to show up and we'll all take a vaccination shot out of the same vial. That's number one, see if he's willing to take that chance. But the other alternative is have a form that says whoever's going to administer this waives immunity and can be subject to you know, civil or criminal right. prosecution. Right. Now, my wife says, oh, well, you know, they, they, you know that won't wear itself. Of course it will. You can waive any rights you have. You can waive all of your constitutional rights. You can waive all the contractual rights you have. You can have property rights. You just sign the documents. I'm waiving these rights. Sign them. I'm probably have a notary to make sure it's your signature. And those rights are gone. That's freedom. All right? So I said, that would be one response. Is everyone hands to the, to the practitioner who's going to give the shot. Here, sign this. So I can sue you if something happens to me. And it wouldn't make any difference if the vaccine companies and so forth all have immunity. They have immunity. They haven't uh, waived their rights. But the fellow with the needle has, or the lady with the needle has. I think that would stop it pretty quickly. Of course, then, you know, the, the sheriff's department or whatever, the police would try to intervene on it. But there's the example of no accountability, no responsibility all the way down the chain. And I'm getting the shot. Maybe this is going to kill me. Maybe not now. Of course, I'm fairly old. Maybe I assume I'm younger. Maybe 10, 15 years later, when I come down with some disease, cancer or whatever that this thing has caused, then what happens? And of course, there's no accountability. No and Those are the two words, accountability, responsibility, and then how do you get those check and balances? And Excellent. how do you get check and balances? You have somebody outside of the thing that you're trying to check, the administrative agency, with governmental authority to perform supervision, surveillance, I like to call it. Because the investigation is looking for something wrong, not just a rubber stamp something right. You know, you don't, unlike the U.S. Army, where everyone who rolls out of his cot in the morning gets a medal, National Defense Medal. In the real world, you shouldn't get a medal for performing your duty. You should just be worried about not performing it. You know what I mean? So that's the purpose of the check and balance, just to look and say, well, what are these people doing? Oh, they're doing the right thing? Fine. Or they're doing the wrong thing. Now, boom, the hammer falls on them. And then that will encourage them to do the right thing. (laughs) There's nothing, there's nothing that focuses a man's mind more, said Samuel Johnson, than his impending hanging. Get my drift? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's what we don't have. We don't have that anywhere in this system anymore. The people of the sheep out there, and then we have the shepherds, and the shepherds can do any bloody thing they want. And that's the end of it. And the only purpose of the sheep sometimes is to, uh, to select a different shepherd. Hmm. But that shepherd, that new shepherd, is going to behave the same way as the old one. We've seen this over and over and over yes. again. Okay, question two. <laughs> well, I think we're out of time, but the, uh, you've, you've walked us through, I just had a recapping here, that the... Uh, that the response, the official response to this situation has basically been a rat's nest of trampled rights. You can just walk your way down the, uh, the Bill of Rights and check off almost every one of them that has been um, upended uh, by, this, by this official response. You've talked to us about the unbalanced, um, an unre- unrepresented uh, power that's in, in the technocrats through their... Uh, through the CDC and through others with no one to oppose them, no one to balance them at the state level, the local level. You've proposed that a proper constitutional form that that 
that could embody that check and balance would could be provided by the militia structure that is provided for in the Constitution and would represent and be embodied uh, by the uh, common people. And you've talked about the lack of accountability and responsibility and the, the remedy. Uh, one of the remedies for this situation is to create accountability and responsibility, and that could start, uh, you said, even at the local level of people saying, uh, in order to administer this mandated uh, vaccine on me, for example, uh, I'll only take it if you uh, waive your right to to be uh, well to be sued. You 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 waive your right to, to you waive your immunity from liability. Right, right, and uh, okay. and also that the uh, that the uh, so that those are the main two remedies that I think you proposed is checks and balances and accountability and responsibility. So there there is. I've observed a growing leakage of discontent among the, the people who have been truly impacted by this. Some have died. Oh, yeah. Some have had loved ones injured, uh, mistreatment, using you know, and being refused treatments that would have been perhaps more effective than those that they did receive. Others have been put out of work, uh, have had their small businesses that was their, their life and dream that they had built um, basically uh, undermined to where many of those will not come back. Uh, and right. and on and on the impacts go. People are becoming discontent with that, and they're starting to to step out of their of their house arrest, so to speak, and and to speak out about it. But those actions are just rumblings at this point. They're not effectively coordinated actions. Thoughts from you on how people can can make their actions meaningful and make a real impact going forward. We we. We desperately believe that this is not the last time we're going to see something like this. This is. Oh, no, 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 no. I think what they need to do is to start at the local level with their uh, mayor and council government, their board of supervisors, county board of supervisors, whatever their local levels are. Uh, go to them and say, look what's happened here in our state. Uh, some states it's less than others, but say Virginia, we've, you know, we have a governor that's gone along with the, with the program. Uh, and this is unacceptable. We have to regain control at least over our state government, and we're going to start doing this at the local level. That's the first thing. People have to educate themselves about the possibilities of bringing accountability to this this system. And then they've got to work through uh, the governmental agencies that are immediately available to them. At this stage, it certainly is not their state government, certainly is not Congress or the White House. There's no way that, way that they can affect anything by talking to them. They need to go to their local agencies. And in Virginia, we had exactly that when early in, in this year, actually the end of last year, when the new Democratic legislature laid on the table a whole spate of uh, anti-Second Amendment That's legislation. Right. Yeah, you came passed. out and spoke with us about and, that. Yeah, you had the, and you had the so-called Second Amendment sanctuary movement that swept across Virginia, uh, probably 95% of the counties and local governments uh, signed on to it officially. Right, it was just the people there that complained. There was some kind of official document, ordinance, resolution, whatever they called it, that said that they were not going to go along with what the state government was going to propose. And that caused uh, quite a bit of consternation in Richmond and caused them to back off on some of the more egregious bills that they had laid on the yep. table. So I think the same thing, the same thing can be done positively. Yep. That at the local level, they can demand that yep. certain changes are made in a positive direction with respect to this kind of a problem. Yep. No more orders of this kind. No more executive orders of certain kinds coming out of Richmond. No more. Those are to be decided at the local level if they're to be decided at all. Uh, no more controls over uh, 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 private uh, doctors, private hospitals, in terms of how they're going to respond to some of these diseases if we're talking about something similar to the COVID-19 panic. And you go on, it's kind of a wish list you could lay out here. But it's going to have to have not only the people demanding it, but some level of the government exercising its authority to try and push this. And at the present time, I think only local government can do it. Yep. And we've seen some local sheriffs coming out and uh, in different places around the country saying we will not enforce unconstitutional measures that, that we are that we are, that are pushed to put upon us to enforce. Right. Well, that's, a, that's the attitude. That's the attitude they have to have. And then they have to go to the next step of telling the next higher level, this is what we want you to do. Right? Counties in Virginia. This is what we want you people in Richmond to do, and if you don't do it, well, there'll be consequences. 
because ultimately we are, we are the enforcement mechanism in the state. You don't enforce anything that doesn't go through ultimately the county government, local sheriffs, local police, local courts, whatever it is. Very, very small number of situations are not going to be resolved or dealt with at that level. So the people go to their local governments, which one would hope are really representative of them, can work with them. And those local governments all stand together and make the appropriate demands, and then we see what happens. But if that isn't done, more of this despotism is going to come down the pike with every one of these events. The next level of sniffles that comes out in the fall, they'll say, well, this is a recrudescence of the COVID-19. We're going to destroy the economy again for six weeks. Yep, that's a grave concern many people have is that this is going to become, quote unquote, the new normal. And that is right. these, these, these overreaches of power are not going to be ratcheted back. It only goes one way. And that way is in the, in the direction of increasing uh, surveillance, control, limitations, infringement of our constitutional rights. And uh, uh, transferences of wealth. There are going to be huge transferences of wealth going on as, people's lose their, as people lose their businesses, as people no longer can meet their mortgages and therefore lose their homes, etc., etc., etc. Someone is going to profit from this big time. You always have to remember that. It, it, it's always, it, there's always someone that is going to make a buck on one of these deals. And they're out there now salivating. We do have a question from Maverick DD 69 who says, please ask Dr. Vieira if he is aware of any networks of people in the various states and Georgia specifically that have formed for the purpose of revitalizing the role of the militia. And if he knows how to contact said group so we can join the efforts currently ongoing. Uh, no, I don't. That's, that's one of the problems in my life. I've been working about this, working on this for years and no the answer is no. Uh, there's, there's a website, constitutional, militia.org, I think it is, or constitutionalmilitia.com. And they may have some information on that. I haven't looked at them recently. They've got a lot of good material. They post my material, go to bad or indifferent, that's up there. They've got a lot of good material on this. So uh, they may actually have a line on who's doing something. You know why I think I haven't heard it? Because no one's come to me and said, how do we draft some ordinance or statute to do this? Right. That's the problem. You have to have someone who's done a significant amount of research on this subject to have an idea of what needs to be done. And I would think that some people, if they, if they really were out there, that they would, I would get some kind of a contact message or whatever, just to give them some ideas, right? Not necessarily to you know, tell them what to do, but just to look at what they're doing and say, yeah, you're going in the right direction. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you need to. Well, this is your invitation, folks, to send this to like-minded folks who want more liberty and want more constitutional uh, rights in the hands of ordinary people. If you know someone who uh, may be so inclined, share this with them, and you've got a ally in Dr. Vieira who's standing by ready to uh, counsel those who want to make sure that we take back our, our properly... Uh, constitutionally intended roles as sovereigns of our own country. Dr. Vieira, uh, remind people where they can find you online and uh, find out more about your work. Okay, they can go to News with Views. That's all one word, newswithviews.com, and find me in the contributor list, and uh, there'll be a complete uh, archive of everything I've done, I hope that in a few days, a week or so, I'll have posted a very long, detailed article that deals with the type of thing we've been talking about tonight. And then my published work, published as books, they can find on Amazon.com. If they're interested in this particular problem that we've been discussing, the uh, emergency powers, uh, near-despotism situation, uh, I wrote one book that's really on point there. It's a long one, but it goes into excruciating detail about the constitutional points. It's called By Tyranny Out of Necessity, The Bastardy of Martial Law. And that's pretty much what we're looking at. It's kind of a non-military form of martial law. But it's martial law in the sense that the executive at the state level or the president of the United States simply gives directives and people are required to follow them, mm. period. Mm. 
And if a general did that, that would be classical martial law, but here we have an ostensibly civilian agency engaging in that kind of draconian, uh, what they call executive, executive orders, which we discussed earlier. So that particular book demonstrates that, well, you couldn't have any kind of martial law in the Constitution of the United States. It's impossible. But they do it anyway, and there's our problem. No accountability, no responsibility, no control by the people themselves. You can't have a Republican form of government where the people don't exercise, in final analysis, their sovereignty. And the Constitution says the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. Well, if the United States, if that government doesn't do it, and the state governments don't do it, who's left to do it? Well, the people themselves, because that's the definition of a Republican form of government. Well, Dr. Vieira, thank you so much for joining us here on Liberty and Finance and for discussing the current plight that we find ourselves in as basically a, uh, a captive people within our own homes and uh, suffering, whether it's deprivation of the effective medical treatments that would, that would keep us and our family members well, or whether it's the deprivation of the right to work and, and provide for our families and, and the property infringement that that, that, that brings, uh, we are concerned about the road ahead. We would like to have you back on as we go through this so that we can keep your your um, guidance uh, in front of us along the way on these uh, these these times that are that are so confusing for so many and and your voice is one that we want to make sure that we hear along the way. So thank you for joining us here again on Liberty and Finance. Oh, my pleasure anytime as long as we're all here. Very good. Thank you. Okay. All right. If you've decided that now is the right time for you to protect your family's financial future by acquiring physical precious metals, gold and silver, I'm delighted to let you know that I have now become a licensed dealer's representative for Miles Franklin, one of the oldest and most trusted names in bullion dealerships. And we can provide you with physical delivery to your personal possession or to professional fault storage or precious metals IRAs. Just email me at Liberty and Finance at ProtonMail.com and please include your name and phone number in your email to Liberty and Finance at ProtonMail.com. We'll get right back with you and find out how to best meet your needs so that you can either begin or increase your acquisition of physical precious metals now and protect your family's future starting today. 